0: From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby.
1: Hey y'all, it's Elizabeth here. Welcome back to the Discerning Marriage Podcast. So, it has been a while since we've dropped an episode for those of you who were listening on a regular basis and then I just dropped off the face of the earth, but I am so excited to tell you why that happened. So my husband and I recently took a job with the Theology of the Body Institute, which is literally beyond my wildest dreams. Like I'm admittedly a big dreamer, but even I did not have the courage to dream this big. I just, oh, give God your dreams, y'all. He is going to do so much more with them than you would have ever, ever imagined. So, my family and I recently moved from Texas to Pennsylvania, and I am sitting here live with none other than TOB expert and fellow Theology of the Body Institute employee, Bill Donahue.
0: <laughs> Hi, Bill. Hello. It is great to be with you, Elizabeth, and great to have you and Ross and the girls as part of our family. <laughs>
1: yes. I can't even believe it. So, <laughs> this episode, the, the audio is going to sound a little different. This is the first time I've recorded live with a guest. I started this podcast during quarantine, COVID quarantine lockdown, and so all of it was on Zoom, and, but now I I have someone live that I can talk to, that I wanna talk to, so we're gonna test this out. Um, So hopefully, if the audio is a little different, you guys will bear with us for this conversation. So today we're gonna be discussing a very critical, but little discussed topic in the theology of the body, and that is original solitude. So when you hear about theology of the body, I think there's a lot of discussion, obviously, on the like the body and masculinity and femininity and that call to become one, and there's a lot of focus on marital intimacy and those sorts of things. But Theology of the Body is a huge text. It's a huge work. There is a lot in there. And this is one of those topics that I think people just don't talk about very often. And I don't really know why. I don't know why they don't talk about it. It's awesome. So I remember first discovering this topic in graduate school when I was going through that huge breakup that I have told y'all about. And I remember thinking, well, I was single at the time. So I remember being like, oh my gosh, Something for people not in a couple. This is this seems really great, but then as I dived into the topic, I was like, "Oh, this is actually really helpful for all humanity." And I it, discovering this while I'm single, newly begrudgingly single, but single nonetheless. I'm realizing the benefit of it to, uh, of discovering this before I'm in my vocation because there's so much beauty that can come from diving into this topic when you are single. Um, obviously, if you're married, keep listening because it's helpful to you too, but there was something really beautiful about that that I was realizing, and so I'm excited to break open this lesser-known TOB topic with you. So, Bill, you ready to get started?
0: I am more than ready. This is a favorite of mine, a favorite reflection, and to your point, Elizabeth, it's for the single, the married, the celibate. It's foundational, in fact, so ready to go.
1: Awesome. So to begin, for some of our listeners who maybe have uh, need a, a little bit of kind of orientation to the teaching of TOB, can you please explain like what original solitude is, and then orient us in the teaching as a whole? Like, where does original solitude fall in the teaching of TOB?
0: Sure, absolutely. And just just for your listeners to uh, know this, <laughs> this is probably my twenty first year of intently deep diving into theology of the body itself as a student as a, as a learner and i am i still feel like a little kid in a <laughs> big ocean of amazingness because i even topics like we're going to talk about original solitude ah it's fresh it's amazing and it's got depth so anybody tuning in says well i know that part already or yeah i already read that part no <laughs> it's a bottomless well so uh the structure tob of course boils down to two big questions roughly Identity: Who am I? And vocation: Now I know who I am. How do I live? Mm. And John Paul II is very systematic here. You know, he's he's got great structure. Two big questions. Underneath each of those questions are sort of three subsets of movements that we can ponder. Um, And he does this in the identity piece: Who am I? With original man, historical man, and eschatological man. And your listeners might be familiar with that movement. So, where have we come from? Where are we now? And where are we going? So, origin, history, and destiny. Okay. So, origin. Walk, walk them through. Just so that is that is like an identity. Who am I? Has to have the origin. It also has our present mess, our history, and also a goal, an end, a telos, and that's as as the eschaton, eschatological man, man and woman in heaven. Now, uh, so those three pieces are essential because. If we only look at our history, the middle, um, we don't know where we've come from. We're not sure where we're going. And we get a plurality of religions and ideas and philosophies of life. So John Paul II is brilliant in, in grounding us in the Genesis. That's where we came from. So, original man is that meditation on Genesis 1 and 2. Under original man, he has three meditations, like a little subset. And original solitude is the first one. So he's got, I'll mention the three just for context. So in our beginning, who we are, where we came from, which is essential. This is all before sin, original man. He's got human experiences of original solitude, original unity, and original nakedness. Now, not just for Adam and Eve in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, but every one of us as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, we all must experience, he says, the echo of these in our hearts. Solitude, unity, nakedness. So this is foundational, right? Solitude is, it's the awakening. And in Genesis, Adam wakes up, God gathers the dust of the earth and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam awakens in solitude. What does that mean? Uh, John Paul II has two kind of takes on it. There's a positive of original solitude, and there's a negative. The, The positive is, I am alone in the visible universe as a person he experiences original solitude as sort of the lord of of the natural world. He's the steward and the king of the natural world. Now, by the way, this is both man and woman. Uh, Adam is generic of all humanity. In fact, John Paul reflects that um, we actually have this experience of solitude before we have the split into Ish and Isha, male and female, Adam and Eve. So when we're talking about original solitude in Adam, It means all of us. So, yeah, the positive angle is, whoa, I'm different. Adam looks out and sees the created world. He sees a dance of sun and moon and earth and sky and day and night. He sees animals. He's tasked by God to name them. And so he has this power over them by giving them names. So he's above them. Original solitude, the positive angle here is that I am more than a chicken or a platypus or a giraffe like i'm bigger i'm more i'm actually made for the infinite so uh it's it's essential that we experience solitude as our separateness from the created world yes we're in it we have kind of one foot on earth but we also have one foot in heaven Mm. and how does that feel just phenomenologically speaking how does it feel to 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 recognize that you are the crown of creation what's your gut reaction there it's incredible it is It is, you know, and we have ideologies that swirl around us today in our culture that say, you know, you're just like a trousered ape, to use Chesterton's quote, mm. mocking, mocking the modern idea. Like, you know, chickens are people too, we're all the same, flatlined. But there's something in our hearts as men and women that says, no, I am not just a very smart, you know, chimpanzee who just got lucky and got like some kind of chemical reaction that made me rational. No, we are a quantum leap above the natural world and every creature in the world. So original solitude, again, the positive angle here is I'm a person. And John Paul II dives deeper into that. He says there's two gifts that flow from my solitude, my awareness of my personhood. And the first one is self-awareness. Classically, it's intellect, right? We say we have intellect and free will. JP Two says that self-awareness and self-determination. Think about that, self-awareness. That's why we need solitude because that's where we reflect. To be self-aware is to say I have an interior life. I can journal and dream and I can write poems. I can take I can take walks into the woods and I can think about my life. That that self-awareness is so beautiful and by the way essential especially for your listeners who are in a place of <laughs> solitude we'll get into that in a minute Uh that feels a little negative right like yeah yeah i know but i want to i want to jump to original unity i want to find somebody or i want to deepen this relationship hold on john paul saying put the brakes on you need to know who you are and Mm. whose you are before you become a gift to another person original solitude is kind of like superman's fortress of solitude you know it's where he discovers who he is nice and i love that right in fact i'm a big superman i love all the superman mythologies and all the stories and the movies when superman before he discovers who he is he goes to the fortress of solitude and the first question he asks marlon brando (laughs) in the original superman he says who are you and who am i hmm wow like, I remember watching that movie and just thinking, oh my, this is TOB. It's yeah. all over the place. This It's is everywhere.
1: It. Even when people aren't looking for it. Right. It's but, just written on the human
0: heart. That's right. But if we get that sort of unhealthy anxiety that says, like, I need somebody. I need to find somebody. If I found somebody, original unity, the echo of unity, then I, I can get busy. Then I can start my life. Then I can mm-hmm. find my... Mm-hmm. Hold up. <laughs> Honestly... If we do that, we're going to become a person who is clingy, yep. who is is too dependent on the other for their own identity, and we miss the foundation that we are first beloved sons, beloved daughters of the Father. Mm. I mean, if you if you get original solitude's positive, uh, the watermark behind it that's positive, you have confidence, you uh, you have restfulness, you have deep trust that. All shall be well. Mm-hmm. You know who God is. You know who you are. And Adam gets that when he wakes up in the garden and realizes through self-awareness who he is. Now, the second gift is that self-determination. Now he realizes, like, I, I make choices that change my life and my character. Uh, you know, the animals around him, they just make choices to either, you know, eat that acorn or eat that stick or whatever it is. <laughs> They're just pecking through the world finding food. It's just a, this dyadic relationship one-to-one with Adam, with awareness and now self-determination, he realizes this triadic relationship. All these things mean something. There's a third element coming in here that says, everything I'm looking at is a teaching me something, teaching me something. So self-determination is the choice to enter into this. So here starts the, the, the swelling of the heart, the longing of the heart for unity, and this is the progression of Elizabeth, right? So all the positives of, self, of, of original solitude are the self-awareness, the self-determination. I'm a unique person. I'm a beloved son and daughter of the Father. Resting in that is essential, but we can't stay there. So Adam feels the ache. And this is beautifully captured in um, Michelangelo's creation of Adam, which I know is in my office right behind <laughs> us right now. Adam's in this posture of rest and receiving everything from God, but his arm is stretching out because he knows he's not made just to be in solitude mm. he needs you know he's looking for an other like him so that's beautiful and holy and good and it will assage the heart a little bit it'll quench the thirst a little bit to find a partner a suitable partner but again we're stressing on this episode that we can't jump to that we can't rush to that we come out half-baked <laughs> we really do we don't you know and then we look for our identity in in someone else in an unhealthy way and you can see that in relationships because that's when relationships start to get a little bit toxic or unhealthy or Absolutely. off or imbalanced or enmeshed and we put too much of an expectation on this other person to sort of complete me when john paul says it's first is that we recognize we are the beloved of god and from that foundation in that solitude um, we can we can move forward. I just threw a lot of stuff
1: out there. Dude. Oof, I love that. It was a lot, but that was so good. <laughs>
0: you didn't stop me, so I kept going.
1: I, yes, no, I didn't stop you. That was awesome. <laughs> I didn't want to stop you. So um, kind of narrowing that in, how can understanding this original solitude help someone who is discerning marriage? You touched that briefly, yep. but now I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. So yeah, apply so, that in particular to my people.
0: Okay. So... Um, to understand the good, the, the essential good and the need for solitude. This is what's so important. Uh, why? Because it gives us, as I said, the fruit of, of confidence, trust, uh, freedom. We know who, who we are and whose we are. So this, this can be practiced every day. I think we should carve out, all of us should carve out time where we dwell in the solitude before God um, without needing to fill that void and ache for unity and that means the quiet walk, the quiet prayer time. Um, prayer of words is awesome. Uh, meditative prayer is awesome. But also just, I mean, I try to start my day with just open palms and just, God, you know, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. <laughs> mm. So that the word speaks first and I just get that, uh, that presence of God. So building a culture of quiet in our hearts and a culture of solitude is really important because you're going to become more integrated, more grounded. Uh, Then you'll be a more beautiful gift when you're invited into a relationship or deeper into a relationship. It's very attractive when a person is rooted in God, knows who they are, um, and doesn't have that sort of anxiety that's kind of always fearful, always thinking, am I enough? Will you be enough? In solitude and trust with God, we know that we are even with our failures and faults and weaknesses, we're really, like, I'm loved.
1: Absolutely. And what I think is so great about about the kind of cultivating, I love that culture of quiet. Mm-hmm. What's so great about cultivating that when you're single is you have time to do it. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that's really, it's really tempting in this culture when there's so much noise and so much busyness and like our phone you know, with mm. all, all of the, the mechanical power, not mechanical power, the intellectual kind of power in this phone to like send a man to the moon. You have it in your pocket. You have everything you could possibly want. It could, you could fill your whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, you could fill your whole day on this. And I think it can be tempting when you're lonely to do that. Yes. You know, to dive into that mm-hmm. and to focus on the negative and to not, you know, to, to see the void of what you're lacking in that season. And what I love about J.B. 2's kind of orienting original solitude where he did in the teaching is it helps us to remember that it's it's not just a lack of something, there's actually something good that happens in that space. And so as you're talking about kind of cultivating that culture of quiet, Carving out that time you have the time when you're single in a way you're not going to have when you're not your own anymore Once you vow to another person and God willing more humans come from that love <laughs> You're not going to have the, the, t- the luxury of time that you have when you're single Like I said, so many people think of that as a negative thing I think we can reframe that to a positive thing yes. and JB two definitely has that as a positive in his teaching because it's, you, know, you have to be in that space of original solitude so the others can come, rightly ordered.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, I've known people in my life, you know, we all struggle with it in our own unique way, who, yeah, they're almost giving into this anxiety, this, um, I can't start yet, I'm not there yet. Uh, and they're missing the present moment, right? The yes. whole thing of the present is the gift. You know, yes. The gift is the present. Your life will fill in quickly. <laughs> it really will and you'll end up longing for that, that quiet again but uh, my point is that you can we have to continue like original solitude is an essential um, modality for everybody single married or celibate Absolutely. it, does, it doesn't go yes well yes because you know when when love comes if you're called to marriage and um, particularly for your audience who are listening right when that does come you still are an individual Yes. You're, you don't become this amorphous blob of two people now who can't distinguish themselves from one another. It, if that happens, then that's not okay. <laughs> that's not okay. That yeah. not okay. And then we have all sorts of codependence and issues. So as a married person, I have to, and you have to, and Ross and Rebecca, my spouse, we have to figure out where's my time with the Lord? Yes. Where I go back to that fortress of solitude. Yes. Superman will a lot of shout-outs. Right? I love that. And I have... The way I pray, because we all pray in unique ways. I don't pray the same way Rebecca does. She doesn't pray the same way I do because the relationship with God is unique. And that's what original solitude awakens in us. Like, I'm a, this unique personal relationship with God, which again, it's not a distraction from my, my spouse or my future spouse. Like, should I be loving Jesus or should I be loving my spouse mm-hmm. right now? <laughs> yes. They, it's a mystery that, that blends together but has its own distinct quality. So it, these movements, and we can talk maybe in another episode, I'd love to come back, Sorry. talk about unity and, and original nakedness, the third meditation, but solitude points here are essential foundation, the awakening that I'm the beloved of God, and that's where my identity flows from, and building that sense of, um, of a culture of quiet so I can constantly drink in my own identity before God in order to become a gift when unity comes.
1: Yes, if you, have, if you don't do this when you're single, if you choose not to spend your time cultivating this culture of quiet, you're going to have to do it eventually or you'll be miserable. You know, like there is a clinical word for that when you become an amorphous being. Enmeshed is a clinical term mm-hmm. for people who have that codependent reality where you don't have the distinction between the persons. You're trying to get too much out of the other. You're not drawing boundaries within yourself. Um, and it doesn't lead to happiness. It does not make you happy And so at some point you're going to have to figure it out, but your time will not be your own and it will be a lot, lot, lot harder to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, doing it now is necessary for your own, you know, your own personal, your own discernment, but also is so, it's something you're going to have to do eventually. You might as well do it now. It's great to use this time in that productive way. So um, kind of winding up here, what I always like to ask, what is one practical tip related to original solitude that someone who's discerning marriage could implement right now? Mm. You kind of mentioned this culture of quiet. Maybe you're going to yeah. take it somewhere else. But yeah. I think and the culture me, of quiet's great. Yeah, so no, no. The culture, maybe two. Some the, of the culture of quiet and whatever the, else you were going to say. The
0: culture of quiet, I mean, it's, uh, and we all, again, we're different temperaments, personalities. Um, you know, if we're more of a melancholic temperament, we know all about the culture of quiet. The melancholic <laughs> loves to dwell there. If we're more of a sanguine temperament, like tigger bouncing all over the place, it's kind of challenging. <laughs> That's me. But yeah, <laughs> I would say, and this is this is my way of praying into solitude myself. Find the music that you love that Ooh. moves you. Find poetry. Find beauty. Find a great work of art. A, a geographic location where you can rest in. I don't know a prayer chair, um, your back porch looking out at a tree, and make those like grounded. Um, locations where you can be embodied alone before God, who is beauty and truth and goodness. And you that, that makes you thirst for that time with God. And it's not just I'm reading prayers or novenas or saying my rosary, which is all beautiful, but you're resting in that original garden of Eden, just like Adam and Eve did. As God moves through the garden at the breezy time of the day, right? So, mm-hmm. what are those breezes? What kind of music and poetry? So, your fortress of solitude is a place you love to be in with Him. It's it's not a, it's not like library sounds like should be quiet. I have to pray now. Shhh, shh, no distracting thoughts. No, it's not about that. It's a fruitful garden where you are with the Lord, and He is with you, and you move from that ex- that beautiful experience of solitude of being given gifts by God. Then you then you enter and give gifts away to everybody else that you meet. But every day drinking the gifts from Him.
1: I am really struck by how different your posture is toward this, even as you're describing it as this peaceful garden. This, the remind me what what was that scripture piece? You walked in the breezy time yeah, of I'd day. God walked with them uh,
0: through the garden at the breezy time of day. Oh, yes. Oh.
1: Yeah, that's very different than how I approached my singleness. Um, and I think It was a like,
0: hurricane or a tornado, not a breeze. Um, yeah, it was like
1: me fighting against it. Like, I didn't want to do it. It felt mm. like such a negative, awful thing. It was like, you know, True. yeah, I mean, I'll be here, I guess, if I have to. But like, it's going to be really dark and stormy and miserable and awful. Um, and, and I think, I mean, I've even seen the kind of effects, the ripple effects of that in my marriage, because I, I, I fought against it in so many ways. Just part of why I'm so motivated to help other people not do that. But as you're describing it, I'm recognizing it's just beautiful. It's good. And for any of my listeners who are in that place maybe where I was, um, and who don't, or who maybe started out this episode not seeing that as good, yeah. that's a great starting place. Take that to the Lord. Who told you that this place wasn't good? Mm-hmm. You know, who, who? where did that come from? Who told you that? Because the Lord wants to meet you in that place, and a good, he wants to fill you here. He wants to fill you with peace here. He wants to encounter you here, and that's beautiful.
0: Yes, yes, so good. I know we're probably going to overtime now, but <laughs> one more thought. You just you stirred just it up in me. When when the Lord says after the fall, who told you that you were naked? Mm-hmm. It's, there's this sudden sense of shame, like I have to cover, I have to cling, I have to grab something to, to assuage this ache and this thirst when God's saying, like, the nakedness in the beginning is good. That shows that you are reliant upon me to give you gifts. I'm going to give you gifts. So rest open in that nakedness before me. And that's original solitude. Mm-hmm. The, the, the the fear comes in to cover and smother and, like, turn the radio up and jump into relationships and keep yourself busy. That's all the you know proverbial fig leaves that we put over ourselves. great Rather yeah. than in the ache. Yep. The ache of solitude can burn us, but it can also bind us to God in the holiest way. And man, then you start longing for it. You want to build the culture of quiet and you just, it becomes a kind of a home from which you launch out into relationships.
1: Yes. A home. I love it. (laughs) This is so good. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. How fun. This live podcast episode with you because I live here now.
0: It's historic. Ah. This is an historic first live
1: recording. (laughs) It is. Thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me.
1: I hope y'all enjoyed this episode with Bill Donahy after I recorded it. I remembered I actually had filmed one live before, or not live, but like in person before um, with my dear friends, Will and Rebecca Hickel. But this was my first one that I recorded up in Pennsylvania at the Theology of the Body Institute offices. So I was really excited about that. And I'm really excited to get to share that with you guys. Um, So please subscribe to the podcast and share it with anyone that you think would be blessed by this work that we're doing. And until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid.
0: The Discerning Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the theology of the body, visit tobinstitute.org.